0: Good morning everybody. I'm Jordan Goodrich, I haven't been up here before. And I'm very, very honored that Doug would ask me uh, to, to preach this morning while he's out on vacation. Um, I'm a student here at the NCST Seminary and I started taking the NCST classes about, oh, two years ago and I was just auditing them. I don't know if you guys know we have a seminary in this building. Yeah. Um, and Monday and Tuesday nights and I was like, I'm just hungry for more of the word. Hungry for more of Jesus. So that sounds like a good opportunity. I'll, I'll check it out. And that was two years ago. And I don't know if you're familiar with a verse in Hebrews. It has haunted me and now I'm going to let it haunt you as well. It's the verse that says, you all ought to be teachers by now but you still need someone to teach you the basic principles about God's revelation so there you go let that one haunt you but the seminary classes have really been transformational for me not just filling my head with with knowledge but I see the way that the word of God changes my life the way I treat my wife the way I love my kids the way I lead my family that's the word of God, the spirit of, of God working and changing. So I've really got a lot of value from that. And anyone that wants to dive in deeper to the word, I'd encourage you Monday, Tuesday nights over there at 5:30. Uh, check it out. Little plug for NCST. But, all right. I've entitled this sermon, Be Careful How You Build. So we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 17 is going to be our text. But before we start reading, let's look at some context, should we? It's always important. Paul's letter to the Corinthians was written by Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, for a specific purpose to a specific people. And here in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a church that he'd started in Corinth, as he was being obedient to the call of God, preaching the message about Christ throughout the world. Acts 18 gives the account of Paul's time in Corinth. And we see there in Acts 18, Paul was in the habit of moving about from town to town, following the pattern of preaching in the synagogue, getting kicked out by the Jews, and then preaching to anyone who would listen in whatever city he was in. And in this particular city of Corinth, which is about... Oh, a couple miles west of Athens in modern-day Greece, Jesus appeared to Paul at night. This is really fascinating. When he's in Corinth, Jesus himself, the Lord, appeared to Paul and said, don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Keep speaking. No one's going to hurt you because I have many people in this city. The Lord had many people in Corinth. And so Paul stayed there for about a year and a half teaching the word of God among them and that's how the church of Corinth was started. So now in 1 Corinthians, Paul's writing back to that church later to address some issues that he's heard about. Some some reports were coming to Paul and uh, there were some pretty serious issues in the church. I think 1 and 2 Corinthians, if you'll notice, they're a little bit longer than some of Paul's other letters. Could be it had to do with there's quite a few more issues in this church of of Corinth that he wanted to address. And he addresses sexual immorality in the church in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, arguing about the spiritual gifts, and even the people of Christ denying the resurrection in chapter 15. But the first issue that he gets to in 1 Corinthians is this idea of divisions within the church. Notice in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1 verse 10 We'll see what the problem is that he's writing to them about. Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there may be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers, by members of Chloe's household, that there is rivalry among you what I'm saying is this. Each of you says, I'm with Paul, or I'm with Apollos, or I'm with Cephas, or I'm with Christ. Is Christ divided? Was it Paul who was crucified for you, or were you baptized into Paul's name? Here's the issue. Divisions within the church, fighting over the leading personalities of the day. Right? It's not as if Paul or Apollos or Cephas were even elders in the church at Corinth. It's not like they're fighting over you know, which elder is better in the church. They're dividing and bickering over the leading personalities. Think about Paul. He was the one that was writing the letter. He wasn't there. Apollos traveled around as well. And, with, and according to 1 Corinthians 16, it seems like Apollos was, was with Paul in that city. Peter. Uh, we know about Peter that he spent a good portion of his time as an elder in Jerusalem. And so these people weren't dividing and bickering over elders in the church. They were dividing over leading personalities of the day. So I try to, what would it be like in our day and age? It would kind of be like our church quarreling, fighting, dividing over John MacArthur, John Piper, Billy Graham, right? Leading personalities of the day. I follow John MacArthur. I follow John Piper. You know, I'm with, I'm with this guy. And what does Paul have to say with this kind of issue? then we'll pick up here in our text. That's a little bit of the the context and the flow of where Paul's going. In chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink not solid food, because you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and living like unbelievers? For whenever someone says, I'm with Paul, and another, I'm with Apollos, are you not unspiritual people? This is what Paul is saying about this, when you're quarreling and fighting and dividing over these Christian personalities, it, it shows that it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. See that? So that's my first point. If you're writing down points, this is the first one. Envy and quarreling are signs of spiritual immaturity. Let me say that again. Envy and quarreling are signs of spiritual immaturity. He says it right there in verse 3. Envy, strife among you. That's how I know you're being unspiritual. That's how I know you still have growing up to do. Let's look at a little bit at envy and jealousy. Paul doesn't seem to be saying that Apollos and Peter and Paul are envying each other, right? And that's because I'm pretty sure those guys were spiritually mature. Not perfect, right? But grown up in the Lord. And I, I don't see... I'm going to just make some real application here. I don't see a lot in the way of envy and jealousy among the leadership at FRAC. You know, I mean, if, uh, if Doug Gooden is envious of Dwight Brown because Dwight has more Facebook followers than him, <laughs> right? That, that could be a sign of spiritual immaturity, right? <laughs> but, but you really don't see that among uh, men who, who have been following Christ for a while because they get it. They get the big picture. And hopefully, as, as Dwight reminded us, Last week, we're continuing to pray for our elders. We're continuing to lift them up before the Lord for the responsibility that they carry. But what about the rest of us? I I think Paul's talking about the Corinthians being envious and jealous toward one another. But I don't think it's an envy and a jealousy in the type that he addresses later in chapter 12 where it's, boy, I guess I'm only a, a foot, so and I'm not a hand in the body of Christ, and I wish I was a foot. It's not envy and jealousy over the spiritual gifts that we each have. It seems to be more of an idea of zealous, right? These people were fighting and, and saying, oh, I'm going to stand behind Paul. I'm really going to be zealous for Paul's name. And people are like, no, 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 no. No, Apollos said this, so we're really going to stand behind Apollos here. There's like that zealousy for a human being. And Paul's saying that's immature. You should not be zealous for a certain personality who's a, who's a believer. You should be zealous for the name of Christ. And that, I think, you don't think we see that in our day and age, do you? Boy, somebody says something bad about that guy I listen to. You know, I'm really going to get behind him and defend the person. We're missing the point. We don't, and we're going to get to what, what Paul thinks about this whole type of division over even himself. Yeah, he's, I don't want you to be zealous for me, Paul. I want you to be zealous for the name of Christ. So let's get that, let's, let's not divide and say, boy, you know, somebody said something bad about John Piper, so, you know, now we attack him on Facebook, or whatever it is that we bicker and argue over with the different personalities. Let's be zealous for the name of Christ. Because envy, jealousy, and strife, especially bickering over different Christian personalities, you know, Billy Graham, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, whoever it is, that's showing that we're spiritually immature. We got some growing up to do. We don't get the big picture. A mind that is spiritually mature understands that the kingdom of God is bigger than any one human. It's all for the glory, majesty, and fame of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying... That's how I know you're spiritually mature, because I see this strife. I see this envying and being zealous for for humans. And this idea of strife, some of your versions might say quarreling. Strife or quarreling is dividing and fighting over petty issues. And you know who quarrels? Some of you might know this really well. Children quarrel. I happen to know this. There is seven children in my household and we hear quite a bit of quarreling, right? Don't judge me, we're still growing. We're still, uh, we're still teaching our children. I'm sure none of this happens to you. You're sitting down to relax. From the other room you hear, yes he did, no he didn't. Mom, dad, you stupid, idiot. None of you guys ever have heard that in your household. Okay, just me, right? Okay, quarreling, right? Now hopefully we, we grow out of that and that's what we're teaching our children, kids. You listening? You paying attention? That's why your parents don't want you to quarrel, right? Because it's they want you to grow up, they want you to mature. They're training you to be adults. And followers of Christ don't quarrel. They don't bicker and fight over petty little issues. And it's always the pettiest of things. My kids were arguing in the car this morning about an imaginary game that they had made up. <laughs> they. You know, just this morning, they were in a game that wasn't even real, that they had made up, they were fighting about who was winning. <laughs> so, but we, we spiritually mature adults, would never bicker and quarrel over and against one another, right? You see, you see Paul's thought there, children act that way. We need to be better than saying, I follow. This person, this personality. I'm following John MacArthur. I'm John Piper. Yes, he is. No, he isn't. He's better. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Quarreling, fighting. So the the big takeaway that I see here is do you want a benchmark to see if you're spiritually mature? Is it your prayer life? Is it how much you're in the Bible? Here, Paul seems to be saying, Is there envy in your heart? Are you more zealous for your pastor than you are for Jesus? The opposite of quarreling and strife is peace. The opposite of envy and jealousy is contentment. The opposite of factions and divisions is unity among God's people. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. So that leads us to the second point I want to remember from today's text. And that is there is one team but different roles. One team, different roles. Let's read uh, starting in verse 5 of chapter 3 together. What is Apollos? And what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. And each one has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Now the one planting and the one watering are one in purpose and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. So Paul here is painting this image of a field or of a garden. Paul had planted the seed, right? He's the one that was there a year and a half and had had founded this church in Corinth and Apollos had came along and something that we find from uh, Acts 18 about Apollos, this guy who comes on the scene that now these guys are dividing over and fighting over is he was it says a very eloquent man. He was a good speaker and powerful in the scriptures. Those are the elements that we find out about Apollos. So now Apollos had come to this church and was powerful in the scriptures and could Refute the Jews and prove from the Bible that Jesus was the Messiah. Eloquent man. That's what we know about Apollos. And he came along and watered the church. He was working there for a while. Who is greater? Paul's saying. The one who plants the seed or the one who waters the seed? What's the answer based there? Neither one, right? God is greater These Christian personalities that the believers in Corinth were exalting Paul, Apollos, Peter, they had different roles but they're still only servants. Servants. Even Paul and Apollos who were pretty powerful personalities couldn't cause the growth. Only Christ, Jesus, caused the growth. And these men weren't divided. They're on the same team working toward the same goal of the growth of the church and the advancement of the gospel of Christ. So how does this Idea apply to us today. You might have come to faith in Jesus through the evangelism of Billy Graham. Maybe some in this room. Grown up, matured under the teaching of John MacArthur, but it was God himself. Christ Jesus wooing you, growing you, calling you. These men are just servants, just servants. But this doesn't let teachers off the hook, does it? No, no, this whole passage is is all about you know, watching out. Teachers. Every believer will give an account for their own actions. Those who teach are accountable to God for everything that they teach and work for. Uh, talk about haunting verses. James 3.1. Not many should presume to be teachers. So what am I doing up here? <laughs> no, I have faith in a good judge. And I am, we'll see what, what Paul has to say about this. Um, because there's a stricter judgment for teachers. Notice verse 8. It said, Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now this helps me to make sense of all the different teaching. Has anyone been overwhelmed by the volume of Christian teaching that's out there? At all? And, And a lot of it contradicts each other. There's so much technology and access that we have to to Christian teaching, online sermons, podcasts, TV, radio. And you know what? It's not out of control, the control of the sovereign hand of God, is it? That's what he's saying here. Uh, Just because there's different teaching that that contradicts each other, Jesus is building his church. And I love what Paul does. We're going to skip ahead to chapter 4. Bear with me on this because it really helps to make sense of what to do with what happens when John Piper says something that John MacArthur doesn't agree with, that Doug Gooden says something that Dwight doesn't agree with, you know, that maybe they're a little bit contradicting of each other. Look at, at, at chapter four, verse one. A person should consider us in this way. Who? Right, Paul, Apollos, personalities, teachers in the church. Servants of Christ and managers of God's mysteries. In this regard, is it expected of managers that each one of them be found faithful? It is of little importance to me that I should be evaluated by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even evaluate myself. For I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by this. Another translation that I had memorized was, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. Wow. That, that makes it pretty clear, right? God, Paul himself is accountable to God. And we'll be judged for the things that he taught and how he worked for the kingdom of God. And this truth that God's going to judge the hidden motivations of our heart, the things that we, we can't see in someone else. Think about, I think that's comforting. Think about all the workers in the kingdom of God since Jesus has come. Apostles, teachers, missionaries, Martin Luther, John Calvin, George Mueller. Each one's going to receive their reward. Not based on our evaluation, right? Based on Christ's evaluation of them. Why is this comforting? Because Jesus is building his church. It's not completely up to the work of men. If it was, we'd be in trouble. Matthew 16, 18 says, Jesus is talking, I will build my church. Right? Right? And what? The gates of hell will not stand against it. Who's building the church? Ultimately, Jesus. I will build my church. The gates of hell are not going to stand against it. The truth that God is sovereign, I think it, it brings freedom. It can prevent controlism, it can be, it prevent the idea that, oh no, I have to control the way this person is, is teaching and preaching. You know, God will give a reward. Or correct that person who's standing up there saying these things. Uh, This is how we can have a guest speaker come into this church and maybe misapply Jeremiah 29.11 out of context. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Right? Jesus knows who's in the church. For selfish reasons, each one will receive rebuke and praise from him. That's what the passage says, isn't it? Each one will receive his praise from him. So it leads us to the third point I want to remember. And I don't, know if, I don't know if you're supposed to do three points in a conclusion or four points in a conclusion. I'm not sure. I'm still figuring this out. But there's, this is the third point that I want us to remember. Be careful how you build. Be careful how you build. Look at picking up in verse 10. We're just going through this passage. Verse 10, according... Of, uh, of chapter three. According to God's grace that was given to me, Paul, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost But he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. So here, Paul switched the metaphor, right? From the field planting and watering to the church being the building of God. And Paul likes to use this this metaphor of the church as a building. In a lot of his letters in Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22, he describes both Jews and Gentiles being built up together as a building as a temple, a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And here Paul says, I have laid a foundation in this church. What's the foundation? Christ, Christ Jesus. Now, each one must be careful how he builds on that foundation. Apollos had come, that's his point, he built on the foundation of Christ. Other teachers and elders in Corinth were building on that foundation. And Paul's saying they better be careful how they build. The idea here is that those who are teachers and builders of God's church better pay attention. That imagery is paying attention, looking at what you're doing. Be careful how you build. Now we saw in Matthew 16, who's building the church? Jesus. I will build my church. But we can't neglect this absolutely real warning that those who are working and serving among the church have to pay attention, have to be careful how they build. And isn't it interesting that Paul's not interested in building quickly? Did you notice that? It's not, let's get it done as fast as we can. Let's build with some wood. You know, all these houses that pop up in Colorado Springs, built with wood, aren't they? We don't see the, uh, the stone mansions. It takes a while to get one of those stone mansions built. But well, when you build with wood, it's quick. And he's saying, no, 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 build carefully. Build skillfully. That's the challenge here. And this chapter is dedicated um, to church leaders, and so I hope we're kind of on a uh, church leadership kick with Dwight's sermon last week. Um, There's a lot of application for us, but here he's saying elders, so now I'm saying elders, church leaders, those who are teachers, pay attention. Be careful how you build. We've got to take this challenge to heart. But There's a huge application here for every believer, isn't there? We each have a work. Is there anybody here who's a believer that does not have a part to play in the body? We know that's not true, right? We each have a job to do. So be careful how you do that job. Be careful how you build. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Encourage one another. Build each other up. That's not just to elders, that's to the whole body. And I've been so challenged to realize there's so much work to do among the body of of Christ. Uh, Think about the one another verses in the Bible. I just did a quick study, but I would challenge each of you to to see what the Bible says about one another. Who's one another? It's the body, right? We're the one another. And I'm just going to read off a couple of them. And this is just a quick sample, not even not even complete. These are some of the commands and these are not to elders, teachers. I didn't include those. This is to the whole body. This is what we are supposed to be doing. Greet one another. Care for one another. Instruct one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Be kind to one another. Speak truth to one another. Submitting to one another. Teach And admonish one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Love one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. It keeps going on and on. There's so much one another work to be done in our body. Take that that challenge to heart. Husbands and fathers, I'm going to single some of us out. This is where I'm growing and learning Husbands and father, fathers, if, if Dwight was telling us that the elders and the leaders in the church are kind of like the, the generals and the captains uh, in the Lord's army, I'm, I'm convinced that husbands and fathers are like platoon leaders. That may not be popular in our day and age, but husbands, fathers, how are you building? How are you building? Are you paying attention? There's so much that I'm learning about how to be a godly husband and a godly father, a lot of it's intentionality, right? You, you don't just walk by, not do anything, and bam, there's this really awesome garden. You know, if you, if you say, well, I, I, there's this whole plot of land, I'm just going to walk by it every day, and bam, beautiful flower garden. Bam, vegetable garden. Anybody have a garden? I can't figure out how to garden here in Colorado. We, uh, we came from Kentucky, and... Man, we had a garden every year, my wife and I. And we, we love to garden. We love to grow vegetables. And uh, how many of you know about gardening? If you let that garden go for one week, what happens? Weeds, right? And a garden doesn't just happen by itself. It takes a lot of work. It takes intentionality. Let me challenge you husbands, fathers, be intentional in building carefully, building well for the kingdom. Wives, mothers, How are you building in the responsibilities the Lord's given you, right? There's a lot of unglorious work that gets done in those roles, right? As a wife and a mother. Build well, stay faithful, stay faithful. God will reward work well done. Now single men and women, so this should cover everyone, right? I get everyone? Husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, single men and women. How big of priority is the people of God or are the people of God in your life as a single person? We've got a lot of stuff in our lives. Paul's saying the work of the church, the one another, where does that rank? Just want you to chew on that a little bit. So I want to be clear And Paul is clear that God has given his people a responsibility to build well, to work hard in the kingdom. But guess what? There's only one foundation. There's only one foundation to build on. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Let's look at verse 11 again. No one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. So I can so strongly stand up in here and, and read what the text says about building carefully and building well and working hard because he's talking about building on the foundation of what Jesus has already done. You're not adding to the gospel, right? This has nothing to do with how to be right with God. There's only one person that took care of that work of being right with God, and that was Jesus. The only way God has revealed to be right with him is through faith in Jesus Christ. Believing that Jesus offered himself as the only acceptable sacrifice to God that could ever atone for sins, Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice in our place. But he's been resurrected. And he lives as the exalted king over all things and worthy to be served. And he's coming back soon. Aren't you excited he's coming back soon? Talk about quickly. We're supposed to be building carefully, slowly. You know when I started studying quickly versus uh, slowly, the one thing that popped out to me about happening quickly, Jesus coming back. Behold, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. Quickly, I am coming back. And we're like, yeah, it's been a while, 2,000 years, but with, what what does that verse say, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. He's coming soon. That should get us excited. That should get us motivated to build well. But we can't change the foundation. We're not talking about building a a different foundation of work so now I can be right with God because of the way that I work. No, 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 no. It's both, it's both and. You can spend your whole life working hard, building well, but if you're not built on the true foundation of who Jesus is and what he's done, it's going to come to nothing. He has done all the work. I want this to be clear. He's done all the work to make us right with God. You just have to believe. You just have to believe. So the foundation is the gospel of Christ. The building comes after. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. You guys know that one? All other ground is sinking sand. Sinking sand. If we're not standing, living, working, or building on the foundation of the completed work of Christ, then we're trying to build on another foundation. It's sinking sand. And any teacher that comes along and says there's any other way to be right with God other than faith in Jesus Christ, it's gonna sink along with any kind of glittery palace that they've built, it's gonna sink, because it's not on the foundation of what Jesus has done. If there's anyone here, I don't know all of your hearts, if there's anyone here who's still hanging on to that trust that they can be good enough, or do enough good things to be right with God, let me invite you to lay it down. Lay it down at the foot of the cross. Jesus has done the work to make you right with him. Lay your life down at the foot of the cross. Believe that Jesus is the son of God. Come to him. Come to him. Accept by faith the greatest gift, peace with God through Jesus Christ. Am I clear? I I wanted to be clear on that because we're talking about building and working hard. They're both true. Lay your life down and rest the foot of the cross and fight the good fight it's both in building skillfully and carefully among the people of God has nothing to do with salvation and right standing with him let me say that again building carefully and skillfully among the people of God has nothing to do with salvation and right standing before him but he has saved us for a purpose Jesus said I came so that you may have life abundant life we know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 really well. You can probably all say it with me. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And then you guys know verse 10, right? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. So that we should walk in them. He's got a purpose for us. And I... There seems to be a scary trend in evangel- evangelicalism. I don't know how you say that word exactly. You get the whole big capital C church. Um, I've heard it called hyper grace, but there's this place that many in the church have found themselves, and I've been there to myself. This is kind of a real testimony of where I've been. It's, it's a place of, well, I've been saved by grace, and I don't think I'm supposed to do anything, so, because working would be working toward my salvation, and that's wrong. So, it's kind of an aimless place. It's like a lack of purpose that I've found myself in. And I think at the fear of preaching a works based salvation, we forgot there is stuff for us to do. Amen? There is work that God has for you to do. Todd and Heather. There is a work that God has called you to do. Go build well. Go build well. There's no aimlessness or pointlessness. We can rest in the grace of Christ and fight the good fight, right? Run in such a way as to receive a prize. So much of the work that he's given us to do, I'm convinced, has to do with the one another, right? So if you're looking for purpose, in life, if you're looking for purpose and what to do, start with the body. Just a simple, practical thing. If you're like, well, I'm just waiting to hear what that special purpose is in my life. He's already laid some things out here. Start with the one another. Start with the one another. He's given us stuff to do. So this leads to my final point. Each person's work will be proven with fire. We say that again. Each person's work will be proven with fire fire. Why should we be careful how we build? Why should pastors, teachers, elders pay attention to how they're building? Because the work's going to be tested with fire. Notice now, there's different ways to build on the foundation. Did you guys notice that in verse 12? If anyone builds with gold, silver, costly stones and he's talking about the foundation of Jesus here, right? So we know he's talking about within the church. If anyone's building with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, what's the difference in those kind of materials practically? Have you guys ever tried working with gold or silver or precious stones? It's an involved process these materials take time to work with. What about wood, hay, and straw? It's quick, right? Pat knows. We'll talk about a materials list for a building. A lot of wood in these, in these homes that are springing up all over Colorado Springs. There's a lot of wood that we're being built with. Why? Because it's fast. It's quick. It's easy to work with. There's only one problem. They don't stand up to fire so well. Do they? Wood, hay, straw. Uh, the Notre Dame Cathedral, you guys familiar with that? It took them 200 years to build that thing. 200 years. This spring caught fire in just a couple of hours. The roof, spire. You know what I found? It was made up, just the spire was made up of over 400 tons of wood. I think there's a reason it went up, and some of the stonework around it survived. The work here that Paul is saying is every teacher, pastor, author, believer, their work will be tested with fire. It might get burned up. It might stand the test. But it's going to get tested. Now this idea of testing is, is like approving. It's this idea that once you finish the work, now we've got to know if it's going to stand up. Um, as a facilities manager at my, my job, we build a lot of stuff. And we recently built this deck on the front of a cabin from the treated lumber, kind of built it. And how do you know if it's going to hold up? You got to test it, right? So we finished it, and I just had a bunch of my guys, and we all jumped on it, <laughs> up and down. And it didn't fall apart, so tested. <laughs> Proven, right? Now we can use it. And that seems to be the idea here, that that Paul's saying the testing, the proving of our work to see if it's worth anything is going to happen with fire. That's why we should build carefully. We should build well. And you know what? Is it going to result in praise and honor and glory to our names? Well, 1 Peter 1.7, talking about the idea of testing of our faith, will show it to be genuine or Proven. That results in praise, honor, and glory to Jesus. So we can build hard. We we can build carefully. We can work hard. And it's going to result in praise, honor, and glory for Jesus. And there's many teachers building on the foundation of Christ. Genuine believers. But some of their work, most of their work, all of their work, will get burned up. That's the picture here in verse 15. Notice it's not a salvation issue. You see that? The work's going to get burned up in verse 15 if it's not built well, if it's built hastily or maybe influenced too much by the world's philosophies. But that person will be saved, yet it's like an escape through the fire. So it's not a salvation issue that he's talking about here. And one other thing that I want to point out is that, look at verse 16. Those who are working to destroy God's church, separate issue. Separate issue altogether. Look what what Paul says about them. Don't you know that you are God's sanctuary and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy and that is what you are. Those who are actively tearing down the church, God's going to destroy them. That's a different issue altogether. God won't stand for it. Jesus loves his church. Do you guys know that? What do they call the church? The bride. Jesus loves his bride. He won't stand for people destroying it and tearing it down. God will destroy him. He will protect his bride. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for us. Every person, each one of us, will stand before judgment and we'll all give an account for how we lived in this life. Did we believe the message about Jesus being the only way to restore a relationship with him? Once we believed, how did we follow? How do we follow after him? How did we build? How did we do with the responsibilities he gave us? The faithful manager, Jesus is coming back. We're going to settle some accounts. We can't get away from this idea of reward. It's in the Bible. I'm not making it up. How did we build? Will he find us actively working and building in his church? Come, Lord Jesus. When I was looking up those thoughts about Jesus coming quickly, it says He's coming quickly, but we're also to say, Come soon, hurry up, Lord Jesus, come back soon. Can are you are you excited for Him to get back, or is there a little bit of nervousness of what what am I doing? Are we are we just waiting? There's this idea of, yes, we're expectantly waiting, but we need to be about his business. We need to be about his work of growing the kingdom, evangelizing, bringing people to himself, and loving and working and growing one another. That's, that's my challenge this morning. So music team, if you wanna, if you wanna come up, let's, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the truth that you're coming soon. Lord, I want to be about your business of working and building the things that are going to last. I want to be about the business of working and building among your bride, among your church, telling others about you. Lord, I pray that, Lord, where you want to convict people, that that would happen, where you want to say well done to somebody this morning. Keep working, keep building, keep fighting, that there wouldn't be that guilt, that there would be a peace. Lord, come Lord Jesus. We're looking forward to you coming back. In Jesus' name, amen.